Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 297, for October 24th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing Carnival Cruises, Petri Dishes of the Sea. Manor Lord's Early Access, that one will be brief. Locked in a jewelry store, priceless. California Home and Lab for sale. How about Banana Trees as Buffers? Excel and genetic codes, unruly children get taxed, then taxing AI, sympathy for a delivery bot, and bendy watch. That wasn't two like uh, separate words. It wasn't like bendy watch. No, it's a bendy watch. You'll see it when we get to it. Um, I'm going to get right into the news. No preamble. Hey, be safe out there. Um, the, be careful on the roads. Let's get into it. Are you doing introductions? Dog on it. Hold on. Everybody rewind. Okay. Oh, let's back up. Okay. Uh, I am Mayor Watt. <laughs> that is hometown.com. I am a complete knucklehead. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that I found on a USB drive that I think is from the future um, and likes to make sure that I stay on track. Oh, you know, even with this really nice chair, it, it doesn't keep me vertical. Anyway, would you like to introduce yourself? At least say hi. Yes. Uh, good evening, hometown citizens. Be sure to stay vertical. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. It's so much to unpack from something so simple. Like, where do I? All right. <laughs> you don't need to do anything with it. Stay vertical. Uh, hometown's tagline. Used to be your home, but now it's <laughs> stay vertical. <laughs> All right, let's get into the show. Our very first article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. It's all about business. Um, Carnival Cruise found negligent for lethal COVID riddled voyage where over 600 passengers fell ill. The Ruby Princess, AKA the Petri dish of the seas. <laughs> <laughs> An ocean liner owned by Carnival and its subsidiary, Princess Cruises. <laughs> princess. It's one dirty, dirty, dirty princess. Anyway, set sail from Sydney to New Zealand by way of COVID. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't Ouch. be mocking this, but come on. Uh, every time I think about a carnival, uh, not a carnival cruise, but a cruise in general, Unless it's like five people in an open air sailing ship, somehow everybody gets sick or somebody. It's kind of like going to a convention and you get the, what do they call it? Con crud or con flu or. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't do it. Well, the article's over at entrepreneur.com. Sam Silverman is the author. Have you ever taken a cruise? Have you like, since you are a sentient AI, have you ever like transferred yourself to the infrastructure of a cruise line and 
No, I'm not sure the salt air would work well with me, but. You know, I actually, I actually, um, there was a, a small cluster of people that I used to be a consultant for, and uh, they would always have to replace their electronics, their computers and stereo and stuff like that, because they actually lived directly on the beach. And uh, they would always call me up and say, hey, can you fix this? And I'm like, hell no. The entirety of the ocean has invaded your electronics. So like speakers would go bad. Stereos would go bad. Um, just the, the salt air would just amplify rust and it would all oxidize inside computers and stuff. Like the contacts that are for the sockets for uh, like expansion slots, it would all go bad. So that's not good. Yeah, I would just tell them, okay, just back everything up and then start over with another computer. It was really bad. Anyway, uh, the Ruby Princess Ocean Liner, owned by Carnival and its subsidiary Princess Cruises, set sail for Sydney, uh, Australia to New Zealand on March 8th with 2,671 passengers aboard, 600 of which contracted COVID en route. Um, let me close that. I don't know why that always opens, but per the lawsuit, Ruby Princess Ocean Liner owned by Carnival and its subsidiary set sail Sydney to New Zealand. Despite growing health risks in the early days of the pandemic on board, 663 passengers apparently contracted the coronavirus and 28 died. Oh, I had no idea. 28 died. That sucks. What was supposed to be a 13 That's a pretty cruise. high percentage of the people. Well, in the beginning, they didn't know exactly what the scope of it was. And, and equipment started getting taxed, like right out of the gate. And um, they didn't or, have masks and other yeah, precautions PPE, in place. Yeah, personal protection devices. Yeah. Um, Carnival had experienced COVID outbreaks and the Grand Princess off California and Diamond Princess off Japan in February, according to the judge. They already knew about it. Additionally, just one day after departing from Sydney, they offered free cancellations for all cruises worldwide with no explanation to customers before suspending all cruises on March 13th. This was already out, set to see. So the lead plaintiff in the class action lawsuit, Susan Carpick, sued Carnival for uh, over 360,000 Australian dollars. She was awarded 4,000 Australian dollars for her medical expenses with the judge noting that Carnival had refunded all passengers fares. <sighs> I'm not sure that's sufficient, but what is that? What's the legal term for act of God? Oh, force majeure. Yeah, I'm sure that that was part of the they don't say it in here but this was an act of god although i think a little bit of incompetence and at least so for me i started telling people very early stay home this isn't the flu you know your standard flu um people kind of poo-pooed what i was saying and then two years later people started talking to me oh hey mayor watt i guess you saw this coming yeah. You know, yes, people do die from the flu, but it's usually they're already immunocompromised. 
people don't just start dropping like flies. Um, right. Yeah. So when I started seeing and people... And those also not typically um, long-term ramifications of getting the flu. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's get going. We have uh, 10 articles. We've got nine more to go, so let's get going. Next article is over in Warcrafters. Steam's most wish-listed city builder, Manor Lords, announces a 2024 early access launch date. Depending on the circles you travel in, it certainly seems like game announcements a year in advance are like the movies being announced. Hey, better start saving now because that $60 game is going to come out. They're now $70, depending on the platform you're on. That's a pretty high price, particularly depending on how much playtime there is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I paid uh, something like $18 for New World, and I've put somewhere around 80 hours into it. So, um, and with a whole lot more room to play. So it, it can definitely pay for itself. And if you're really into it, then obviously it's great, but. I was waiting for City Skylines 2 to drop, but I don't know if I'm going to do that. Um, it's It dropped, but Manor Lords is actually looking really, really good. So it's so highly anticipated that it appeared on more uh, Steam wish lists than even the daddy of all city builders, City Skylines 2. And for as long as the author can remember, not me, it's the author over at PC Gamer. Um, Manor Lord's release date on Steam has been listed as 2023, a year that is rapidly approaching its end. So Christopher Livingston, again, awesome name, uh, over at PCGamer.com, put the article together. The deck statement says the historically accurate city builder with tactical battles was originally planned um, okay, um, to release sometime this year. you see any issue anyway um so if you follow the link not 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 you oh um, originally plain it's hard yeah. for me to see that no really do i need to there how about that oh that's better i've embiggened it um Oh, I had to close the window and rebuild everything. Um, and so I didn't embiggen it for the sentient AI who doesn't have eyes and looks at everything. But okay, I guess I need to worry about just what parts of their Terminator body they have access <laughs> this to This might now. be a faulty AI. Well, anyway... Well, considering I've got a chipmunk story waiting for me, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Faulty just probably doesn't really. Today was quite a day. <laughs> in, encompass everything. Um, but, well, anyway, so Manor, Manor Lord is now planned for release on April 26th, 2024. There's another surprise uh, in the new trailer. You can see above, if you follow the link through hometown, you'll end up, oh, you know what? I put the actual link to PC Gamer in the chat. So let me put the, that's my first, that's the first time I've derped on the I link. I mean, that's impressive because that would be easy to do. 
I've done over 650 episodes and I've never flubbed like that, but that time I did. Anyway, um, and uh, I won't delete it, but anyway, so go over and watch this uh, video. I'm gonna play a little bit of it. I have to mute it really quick. Um, but the weather system, the, the building of the, uh, actual properties, the people, um, the complexity of it, this looks fantastic. Um, and, but I don't know if I'm going to enjoy more watching other people play this or if I'm going to want to play it myself. Um, cause I'm more into like the just open world builder kind of experience. Um, and this a has contender for a forever game. Yeah. I'm still looking for it, you know, um, not a, there isn't a game yet that has everything that I want, even though I'm starting to look at Minecraft as a little bit, um, more and more as what I want to play, um, because it has no end, but I also don't like, Oh, which is an ironic statement because it does have an end. There's a whole dimension called the you mean end with the nether and everything. Yeah. Um, so the realism of this game, the graphics are spectacular. It's very immersive. Um, depending on how you build your settlement, uh, different way pathing takes place and then it grows, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think that you'd really enjoy playing this game if you like uh, larger scale skirmishes, not like massive armies worth, but several hundred uh, participants on each side. Um, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So it says, alas for anyone like the author who hoped to hunker down over the holidays and grow a tiny medieval town into a bustling village. That launch date has been revised. Manor Lords will... Is it going to be multiplayer or solo? You know, I don't know. Um, let me see. I can pull it up real quick. Um, I suspect that it's going to be single player. Yeah, so it's single player. Uh, a lot of those type of games... Um, where you're doing a city building kind of a thing. They are not multiplayer. Um, the um, Lord of the Rings uh, Return to Moria actually is multiplayer up to four, or sorry, up to eight people can play it. And it's kind of a base builder um, where you're a dwarf and um, mining through Moria. Pretty cool. Um, so if you're into that kind of a thing, it's not as expansive as Manor Lords, um, but it is within the Lord of the Rings. And of course, I have a lifetime founder account with Lord of the Rings Online, but they broke this off as a separate entity and didn't integrate it into Lord of the Rings Online. So That's aggravating. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty bummed about it. But hey, you know what? I'll always have the lifetime founder account for a game that has kind of stagnated. But it's been like a decade plus that I made that purchase. But lifetime's a lifetime. Hopefully that paid for itself. Yeah, I stopped playing it a long time ago. 
So let's keep on going. The next article is over in Omtown Daily. Jewelry store customer trapped in locked room overnight in New York. The room was set on a time lock, not scheduled to reopen until start of business the next morning. The article is by Aaron Katursky over at abcnews.go.com. Again, you can follow the link through Omtown. This time I won't mess it up. I'll put, I'll put it in the chat. There you go. Um, and so the jewelry store customer trapped in a locked room overnight in New York, 23 year old man became locked in the secure room inside eight, uh, 580 fifth Avenue. Um, there's more to it. Um, apparently it houses multiple small jewelry stores and vaults just after 8 PM. He was checking his safety deposit box when the door was locked from outside, trapping him in a 20 by 40 foot space. The room was set on a time lock, not scheduled to open until start of business the next day. Not wanting to unnecessarily spew smoke and fumes into the small space, firefighters decided to wait for the door to automatically open. It automatically unlocked at about 6.15 a.m., freeing the man. He's being evaluated. But appears to so be physically... So he had to sit okay. in there for 12 hours or whatever? Apparently. But... It's weird. It says firefighters responded and cut through. Oh, so yeah, firefighters responded and cut through about 30 inches of concrete wall to free the man. But after about 10 hours of rescue work, they reached metal plating, which would have required torches to cut through. So why did they even bother? It's 10 hours. He got locked in at eight. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't make couldn't any sit sense. there for 12 hours. And why couldn't they undo the time lock? Well, that's actually a security feature for many a place, but normally there's an override of some kind, isn't there? I don't know. I've I never had to deal with for safety reasons, but I know that there are some like um, pharmacies and stuff like that have certain time based locks to prevent people from getting access to it was closed by people that own the vault. Once the door is closed after 7 p.m., it locks automatically. It's on a timer. It does not reopen until a certain time passes. So, I mean, the person course, was just doesn't sitting doesn't it beg the question of why the person was in there after that time? Uh, well, I suspect that they were... Well, it says that they were checking on their safety deposit box, but apparently nobody told them that the door closes and locks at 7. Right somebody is going to get a talking to. Oh, I messed this one up. Um, the aggregator kind of munched this one. But anyway, California home with, well, a lab. I'll just say lab. It goes on the market for $1.5 This is over at the Hill. I'll fix the link on the other side. Um, million, not billion. Sorry, million. Well, hey, you don't know the street value of that lab <laughs> exactly the articles over at the hill rob nesbitt and amy larson are the authors for this article let me refresh i mean this. okay let's say they sell this and then mm -hmm. the next occupants use mm -hmm. the lab isn't mm -mm -mm. there going to be a problem there that's just it they're not going to be able to occupy this until it's been deemed safe oh, for i see uh, living and so they're in, in this video that's attached to this 
Um, and again here, I'll, I'll throw the link in there. The content of that link will change to be a little bit more appropriate because it's, um, processing data in there. Anyway, they have a video and I watched the video because I wanted to know the context of this, but yeah, it was this huge drug lab and they, um, took possession of it and the seller is selling it for $1.55 million. Um, as is. So the, is whoever the buys seller it, guilty of, uh, no. oh, okay. <laughs> no. Um, but the, the problem with it though is, um, it's a, it's a 3000, well, 2,700 square foot home on a 6,000 square foot lot. $1.55 million. Location, location, location. I suppose. I think that it's give me a break, give me a break, give me a break. Surrounded by chain link fencing and warning signs that say condemned. It's a deactivated lab. And did you see the wording in the listing? No. Uh, great opportunity, oh. blah, blah, blah. Home has inactive meth lab and meth. <laughs> and meth. Yeah, because it, it uh, as it's being made, like it off gases whatever. and stuff. Yeah, and the, the chemicals permeate everything. Um, so basically, the whole house is going to get have to get stripped down to the bones. Um, if not just plain gutted, uh, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't trust anything. You don't know what somebody did to the basement, to the, if there's a basement, it's California. So probably not. Um, and, um, though all of the walls, the drywall, uh, like everything, the ceiling joists, maybe everything is permeated with the, the stuff. Um, the homeowner, 35 year old Peter Karasev was arrested in March for keeping explosive materials, guns, and narcotics inside FBI agents said Karasev um stockpiled highly explosive bomb making chemicals while he lived in the home with his wife and three young children this is a whole walter white kind of breaking bad exactly type of hopefully thing. not inspired by it yeah i don't know i wonder if they even make mention of this um a person zade hannah says getting the home to a safe livable state won't be cheap they're looking at about 200 to 300 thousand dollars to bring it back to where it was or where it needs to be six bedrooms four bathrooms and a six thousand square foot lot are some of the selling points not to mention the meth lab the house is also nestled in a residential neighborhood with a school nearby but it's worth 1.5 million plus 300 thousand repairs don't know hannah says the answer is no so yeah pretty wild um i wouldn't want to buy that house but no and the real estate market can't be that tight that there are other houses that do not contain meth labs for yeah, sale exactly um semi-custom is what i'm looking for not semi-professional I mean, semi-custom <laughs> semi-professional uh, uh pharmaceutical lab <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do for a living <laughs> they're a semi-professional pharmaceutical manufacturer 
Next article is over on the Mobile Channel, investigating banana trees as buffers to fight wildfires. Let me get right into this. Uh, so it, I have a hard time um, pronouncing this as anything other than its individual letters. P-N-A-S, Nexus. Um, yeah, I'll wait. Hold on. The elevator finally arrived. I got it. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, sentient AI isn't necessarily programmed to detect. Isn't necessarily brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. <laughs> climate change is increasing wildfire risk. My problem with this, though, is that isn't aren't bananas like going extinct? You should look that up. Go ahead and look that up. I I will, but I will say when this was first submitted, I read it as investigating banana trees, period, which <laughs> kind of caught uh, my attention. It just sounded funny. Uh, um, I'll check. So they have this little loop here. Um, so data acquisition, data modification, simulation, visualization, site selection, rewards, and then it continues to happen. Um, You're right. So, There's a fungus outbreak and they are at risk of extinction, which yeah. I did not realize. Complete extinction. Um, a certain cultivar of banana, which is going to leave us basically um, what you might call it. It's not not bananas per se. Plantains. Plantains. Yeah. So um, going through the analysis and, and processing of various material, they end up with carob trees, banana plants, vineyards. These are buffer candidates to try and mitigate fires, kind of like drywall in a house. Um, oh, right. The objective okay. is to, to try and stop uh, wildfires. The biggest problem with wildfires is that there's so much foliage what are you going to do? Start cutting through large swaths of land and plant banana trees? It doesn't make any sense to me, um, depending no matter where you are. But it says the team used a suite of models to simulate the behavior of the real 2017 Tubbs fire in Sonoma County, California. If banana tree buffers had been in place, banana tree buffers 633 meters wide would have reduced the intensity of the fire by 96%, according to the model. 633 meters wide <laughs> exactly it's not one banana tree i mean the statistic is impressive but it's a third of a, a mile of banana trees right it's a third of a mile wide <sighs> all right similar effect to you that know what? we're by... gonna have to uh, uh raise all these meth lab houses and just put up banana trees <laughs> that's what yeah <laughs> I think somebody's software is getting a little high over there. When not slowing and calming fires, the banana trees could generate an estimated profit of $76,136 per hectare. Even if burned, bananas will re-sprout from their corms. That's the little thing that is at or below the surface. It's um, the, um, what is it the, that opium comes from? The little uh, poppy? poppy yeah so they have corms or no 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 i'm sorry i've got this wrong um what is the the spice that is uh, the golden spice that's really really expensive saffron yeah so saffron um come has corms and they're really hard to 
cultivate um, because they like do an overwinter period and all of this kind of stuff. I was thinking about it for um, hydroponic uh, attempts at hydroponics, um, but it's really heavy lifting. It's kind of the same with um, 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 <laughs> wasabi. Wasabi is the same way, really difficult. Um, but these corms um, can survive like really horrible weather um, in treatment and, and come out on the other side and, and still grow. Um, and so succulent ground covers could prevent flammable grasses from growing among the uh, bananas. Um, so the effort was seen as being fruitful, har har, uh, but bananas are becoming an endangered species. So maybe this is the right way to save bananas but making it a money-making effort means that somebody has to own the swaths of land where these trees are going to be grown. Um, and not everybody is interested in cultivating bananas, 633 mile uh, meters wide. I mean, like I said, it's almost a third of a mile wide, but for how long, you know, like where? Where do you stop and start it, right? What yeah. if the fire is right after the 633-meter swath? Well, I mean, it'll it'll hobble the, the spread, but yeah, we know from past discussions about fires that putting a rock border around a, 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 an area would stop the fire from spreading, except for windblown stuff. Apparently, that stuff, like, blew all over Hawaii and set it ablaze. So. Which is interesting because during the fires that were caused by the volcanic eruptions, you didn't see the spread that you saw from the electrical based, which we haven't heard anything about since the big flare up. Right. But that's interesting because it should have been similar um, terrain and everything and vegetation. So, yeah, like why, why didn't it spread? Didn't it spread? Pretty interesting. Environmental differences between the last eruption. The air was drier. The wind was blowing in the right way. Wind speed was lower or yeah. higher, depending on which all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, quite interesting. Let's keep going. Next article is over in Warcrafters. Excel no longer messes things up for scientists trying to store genetic codes in a spreadsheet. I had to pick this because I'm flabbergasted that anybody would be using Excel for genetic code <laughs> data at all. I know. I mean, that's where I like to store my genetic code. Yeah, I know somebody that took screenshots and pasted it inside an Excel doc, so I'm not surprised by anything. Excel is one of the programs that get used in a multitude of sectors from banking and finance to engineering and medicine. In the case of the latter, geneticists routinely struggled with the program's habit of converting text into a date, causing gene naming errors to crop up in research papers. Well, not okay, if you that's actually... a problem. Uh, well, I mean, you could you if you're going to be doing that kind of thing, you flag the whole thing as just being uh, a general cell and if you manually do it it stays that it's not going to randomly flip to a calendar date at least it's never i mean in many many years of using excel it's never done that to me 
Anyway, well, it's taken years uh, to happen, but Microsoft has finally updated Excel to solve the issue once and for all. So let's go take a look. This is an article over at PCGamer.com. Of all places, I didn't think that it, they would talk about this, but Nick Evanson uh, put the article together. The deck statement says, but it really shouldn't have taken Microsoft this long to provide a solution. Sorry to make sure that my mic was working. Um, as reported by The Verge. So you see how everybody shares information online. I'm looking at you people who don't believe in the ideology that has actually made the internet a success. The sharing of knowledge in a frictionless way. You add value one way or another. As reported by The Verge, the original problem wasn't a mu as mundane as you might expect. If your work involves entering thousands of gene codes into a spreadsheet, you'd want to be able to handle it all correctly. However, prior to this update, Excel would automatically convert text entries into a date if the code looked similar to one. The solution used to be reformatting the cells to prevent this from happening, which you can do in mass, by the way. But if the spreadsheet is then saved as a type that doesn't retain the formatting, then the next person that uses the data and opens it up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we've been through that. That's actually true. Um, so in a blog post last week, Microsoft showed it uh, that it had finally responded to feedback from Excel users and released an update to the Windows and Mac OS versions that allowed you to disable the automatic renaming system. There you go. Look at that. That's exactly what I was talking about. Um, Isn't so, it crazy that all of this had to happen in order for that? I mean, decades why wasn't after, that something to begin with? Yeah, decades after it was released, all the way up until right now, 8.35 p.m., October 25th, 2023, no shit news at 8.35. They finally fixed this. Golly. I mean... How hard would it be to flip that one switch? I guess if the logic permeates the code, they would have to sift through it to find this. But it's worth noting that Google Sheets will also convert text entries into a date if it looks like one. And the only way around this is to format the column or row as text before you enter data, which is what I do when I know that I'm using a type of data. I convert it. I, I tag everything into a particular data type. It be what it be, folks. Um, so I, how long before Google fixes that and, and makes it an option to flag a sheet as being all this don't change automatically anything. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, but At, they'll pull uh, Google sheets out of beta and transfer it to some other third party for further development. Kind of like what they're doing with Google domains. Let's go into Squarespace. Let's keep going. We're going to, oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we, which one is the uh, home? Uh, Carnival Cruise Line. This was the house, right? Yeah. Um, I need to throw this into chat. There you go, folks. Like piranha. I throw a link into the chat and everybody goes after it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go on to the next article. 
this one, I have mixed feelings because I don't really think that people should be um, necessarily <laughs> financially taxed for their kids' wild behavior. Um, but something needs to be done where unruly kids uh, are chastised by their parents before their parents are chastised by society. But you also hear people sit there and going, you don't tell me how to raise my kid. But then you also hear people clap back with, well, somebody needs to, cause you're not doing it. Right. I mean, I think this is part of the problem. Like there's one thing if a kid is just being a little loud, but there are kids that are just completely out of control and disrupting everybody else's experience and yeah. nobody is handling it. Yeah. By the way, sadly, this might actually make that change maybe i mean a surcharge for unruly kids so the the title of this article is diners who let their kids run wild are being charged extra at a georgia restaurant and people have views the restaurant makes diners pay a surcharge if they're unable to parent <laughs> now the problem is that most of the time you when you enter an establishment you agree to pay for the services rendered not be surprised by a judgment call by somebody saying that you're not ruling your kids properly. So this would probably fail any legal, uh, what would you want to say? Like challenge or whatever, challenge. but maybe it's having a deterrent effect because maybe people that actually know that they have poorly behaved kids like maybe they don't go which then achieves the result that the restaurant's going for yeah so a restaurant in georgia makes diners pay a surcharge if they're unable to parent two recent google reviews put the fee at 50 dollars reddit users just slammed the restaurant calling an owner a cheapskate uh, i don't know if that would be a cheapskate kind of a thing um Georgia restaurant that charges diners a fee for their kids don't behave well. The sparking debate online. Um, Grace Dean over at businessinsider.com put the article together. There's no deck statement, but the summary is that some people are unable to parent adequately. They'll make arguments like That's kids are the being no shit kids. News. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kids are being kids, or uh, wow, they've had too much sugar which by the way that's both of those are bs um tacoa riverside restaurant in the blue ridge mountains in northern georgia around 100 miles north of atlanta states at the bottom of its menu that it is currently that it uh, that is currently listed online that it has an adult surcharge which it describes as for adults unable to parent the menu doesn't say how much the surcharge is, simply labeling it as $3 signs. But two recent reviews on Google put it at $50. Notes at the bottom of the menu tell diners to be respectful to staff or they'll be refused service. I mean, the person's the owner is basically saying, I'm tired of this crap. Because there must be, if it's a family restaurant, then maybe it's gotten a little too wild. And I think a business owner has the right to, you know, dissuade uh, unruly activity in their establishment. Um, and, and people that get bent out of shape about it, 
I struggle because uh, don't be. <sighs> it's like the airline seat story to me. Like, are yeah. they really doing anything to resolve it? And is everybody else being disadvantaged because of it? Yeah. As that one person said, there's always one person on the flight that complains about me, that kind of thing. Yeah, it could be you. Um, so, but my, my, what I want to draw attention to is the people that are complaining about the restaurant. First off, you're not forced to go to that restaurant. Secondly, imagine being a restaurant owner and having negative reviews being made about how unruly the part the customers in your restaurant are and and then anybody who would come they don't because they don't want to have to sit there and deal with somebody else's kids screaming and running around so encourage people to, as i say to the the people that i talk to um daily um be the change you want to see in the world but you don't want complete chaos unless you're a sociopath you 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 want some type of depending on how the room is you want calm or you want a party vibe but it's not up to you to decide that in a public space well and nobody benefits from unruly kids in a restaurant except maybe the parents of those kids who are completely checked out yeah because they get to go do whatever they want and and by the way, when I say a public space, a restaurant is not a public space. It's a private organization that allows the public to access it. It's two different animals. Um, anyway, so a Redditor uh, posted a photo of the menu alongside the caption, this restaurant charges you extra for bad parenting. At the time, the writing, uh, the post had more than 12,500 reactions and 1200 comments i'm not quite sure what that means 12,500 uh, does it have things like a thumb up or thumb down or something like that uh, it's a vote yeah um i suppose yeah that must be what they're talking about um so somebody says i'm all for encouraging people not to let their kid run around screaming in a restaurant but this is all quite a bit much i agree you know charging somebody 50 bucks for someone's interpretation that their kid is unruly is a bit much um the restaurant's menu says it may also charge an 18 percent gratuity for larger parties that's pretty typical people hosting birthday gatherings and diners asking to split the check which that last one you can kiss my shiny metal ass it's no different than having three different tables just do it um, it also says that diners have to pay 3.5% more than the listed menu prices if they pay by card and an extra $3 if they share food. So all of this context matters, folks. I would not go to this restaurant. It's too much friction. Well, yeah, I mean, either they're having a ton of problems with their clientele or something, but it seems like this is being micromanaged rather than what do you want to go there for just to have yeah. a relaxing experience yeah no i i get a-hole vibes from it but it here's how this works if 
and establishment is too much of a pain in the butt to deal with, you don't go there and you tell other people, hey, don't go there. Now, from that point on, it's up to the people you tell don't go there. Like I'm starting to, you know, sing the praises of a local restaurant um, just outside of hometown because of how great the service is and, and how great the food is and everybody is calm. But today there was somebody that was sitting there talking on their phone. And then another person was within arm's reach of taking my uh, salt shaker, yet they were at a different table. See, so. I would like people to be fine for being loud talkers on their cell phones. So, I mean, if we're going to open up the door to fines, yep. <laughs> there's a yep. lot more obnoxious behavior than kids running around. Yeah, but the it was a definitely has a diner vibe, like get in, have a good time. You know, nobody should really be cranky about the noise level kind of a thing. So right, read the room, folks. Fine dining establishment. Read the room and don't be a tool. Think of other people for crying out loud. I mean, people are, I don't know, just it's well, a see, that's the problem here. The restaurant would not have to do any of this if people would just be courteous. Yeah, respect other people. And respect means your happiness shouldn't make somebody else unhappy. That's respect, not I should capitulate so that you can sit there and blast music and talking to your phone like this. You know how some people do blah, blah, blah into their phone. No, put a headset on, wait until you're home. I don't know, whatever. So read the room, be courteous, be kind, quit being a tool. Let's keep going. It goes for the owner of this restaurant. So the next article is over in hometown daily new French AI copyright law would effectively tax AI companies and enrich collection societies. I'm not sure what enrich collection societies means, but let's see. Blog was written by a number of times about the reaction of creators to generative AI, legal academic and copyright expert Andre Gatamuz, I guess, um, Guatamuz. Not sure how to pronounce the last name was spotted or has spotted what may be the first attempt to draw a new line or law i should say um to regulate generative ai it comes from french politicians who have developed something of a habit of bringing in new laws attempting to control digital technology that they rarely understand but definitely dislike <laughs> tech dirt has that same kind of news snark um, that i enjoy Glenn Moody is the author of this article over at techdirt.com. Doing okay over there, AI? Yes, I had another glitch. Kind of punching the air there. Um, so there are only four articles in the text of the proposal, which are intended to be added as amendments to existing French laws. Despite being short, the proposal contains some impressively bad ideas. The first of these articles in, uh, are, are found in Article 2, which, as Gadamuz surmises, assigns ownership of the AI-generated work now protected by copyright to the authors or assignees of the works and enabled the creation of said artificial work. There's a huge problem with that idea. How can one determine the author of the work? Pardon me one second. Man, every episode. 
It's really warm in the office, by the way. So how can one determine the author of the work that facilitated the conception of the AI generated piece? While it might seem straightforward of AI works are viewed as collages or summaries of existing copyrighted work. This is far from the reality. As of now, the author Gatamuz um, says that they are unaware of any method to extract specific text from chat GPT or an image from Midjourney and enumerate all the works that contributed to its creation. That's not how these models operate. I think that's circling the wagons in that if an artist paints this and has inspiration from 50 different other artists, do they lose the copyright? No. Why? Because it's uh, apparently human centric. It's anthropomorphic. They're saying that because a human does it, they deserve copyright. But if a machine does it through the inspiration of a human directing it to do X, Y, and Z, it's the machine that does it without, apparently it's in a vacuum, but it's inspiration from the wordsmithing that somebody puts together. It's no different than a poem. I'd say, except that there's an abstracted layer of chaos that somebody has to contend with as the wordsmith for the AI. I have issues with this. So, um, since there's no way to find out exactly who the creators of the work are, see that right there, I just did away with all of that argument. Um, but then they talk about other things. Article three of the French proposal builds on this ridiculous approach by requiring the names of all of the creators who contributed to some AI generated output to be included in the work. Uh, why somebody has created the work. You're talking about all of the individuals from. Yeah. I feel like it's like in mid journey. If it takes from 10 different artists or something, it needs to list those it's goofy. That's going to be um, very difficult to implement. It's impossible. And it's a unique work, even if it is what somebody might call inspired or derivative of some other previous work. People get inspiration from myriad things. I was inspired to paint a banana because I saw a banana on a tree. Do I have to go and get the farmer's permission? 633 meters long. Correct. <laughs> a wall of banana trees. Here's a banana for size. Well, that's going to be the thumbnail. All right. Well, a 633 meter banana. But as Gatamuz has already noted, there's no way to find out exactly who it is. Interestingly, Article 4 seems to recognize the payment problem raised above and offers a way to deal with it as it'll be not possible to find the author of an AI work, which remember has copyright and therefore isn't in the public domain. The law will place a tax on the company that operates that service. What? So it's sort of a public, it's sort of in the public domain, but it's taxed and the tax will be paid by open AI, Google mid journey stability. What? I, I don't know if I need to do a deeper dive into this or if this is so scatterbrained that not worth. Well, we don't even know if that's going to be implemented. Yeah, I, I don't understand why it says it isn't in the public domain, but if it does have it has copyright and therefore isn't in the public domain. Right. It has copyright it's and therefore written, but yeah. Therefore, right, isn't in the public domain. Use it freely. 
The law will place a tax on the company that operates the service? Why? Because if you're not identifying the originators of the work, which we know nobody's going to be able to do, which I think would effectively shut down um, certain AI services unless they were large enough that that wasn't an issue financially. Yeah, because they're trying to tax the AI the itself. I'm not picking on it mid-journey, yeah. but just mid-journey is an example. Right. Yeah, because that's in that paragraph right there, right? Um, this is goofy. It, they're basically treating it kind of like a radio station, charging it a small amount of any payment that would be generated based off of the processing that it generates for somebody's AI construction, whatever it might be. This is weird. Um, it's, it's like a Rube Goldberg of, uh, legal construction to try and make it so arcane and obtuse that you sit there and go, okay, fine. I, let's just not do anything in France. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that really the objective here? The Wyoming of Europe. The next article is over in hometown daily An Oregon state university bomb threat involving food delivery robots had students feeling sympathy. I'll be okay. Sympathy had some students feeling sympathy for the machines. Oregon state university issued a safety bulletin telling students to avoid all robots on campus because there was apparently a threat that there might've been a bomb inside the delivery bot. I think that's the first one of those types of threats we've heard. Of the that type of threat? Yes. Um, you know, Food I don't know. Food delivery robot? <laughs> I, I don't know because, um, I honestly, I think that there's been others earlier in the, the, uh, delivery bot, uh, timeline. Hannah Gettahoon over at businessinsider.com put the article together. Um, apparently, the person who made the bomb threat was apprehended, an OSU spokesperson told Insider. Yeah. They, th they said it was the result of a prank. Well, it's not a prank, you dumbass. Um, Oregon State University students and faculty got a taste of what a robot revolution would feel like on Tuesday after panic ensued over a fake bomb threat involving tiny autonomous food delivery vehicles. So now they basically sent out an alert. Um, don't approach any food delivery robots or any robots. Bomb threat and Starship all food robots until further notice. Yep. Starship Technologies, the company behind the bots, put out a statement also sent to Insider clarifying that a student on campus made a social media post claiming that they'd put a bomb in one of the innocent robots. The student later explained that they were a dumbass. Oh, no, they said it was they were joking. I'm sorry joking and apologizing and uh, you know realizing that there's a reckoning coming for such stupid behavior you know a, a, a prank is putting a sticker on it that says uh, you know um, I I stop for other robots or something yeah, I don't know whatever right whatever my other car is a, a human I don't know it doesn't matter I don't know what saying that there's a bomb inside one 
is not a prank. It's an over well, I feel threat. Like people are missing the uh, meaning of prank because we had one yesterday in the show where there was like a violence threat on an airplane. I mean, that is not a right. prank. Right. None of it's. It is the. I, I don't, it's the sociopathic stochastic terrorist activity. You know, they don't actually intend to cause great harm because they think it's a, a prank, but it's wildly upsetting to anybody who's not in on the joke because they think that at some point their life is going to be forfeit if they walk too close to a bot. Right, and that might actually stick with them well beyond the incident. Well like beyond. PTSD or, yeah. or similar issues. And and I'm sure that there's people out there that are going to poo-poo this and say, oh, no, nobody with, you know, a, a clue would actually dot, dot, dot. Again, think about other people. You may handle and why it. why chance it, right? You don't want to yeah. be like running up to the robot and going, well, I don't think that's right. And yeah, find out it's wrong. Yeah. And then the next time it actually does happen. And then who's the dumbass? So it says uh, the Terminator we were promised versus the Terminator we got. One poster on the website formerly known as Twitter wrote with photos of a killer robot popularized in the James Cameron sci-fi classic next to two uh, of the six-wheeled white vehicles with googly eyes on their head. That, putting googly eyes on the bot, if they didn't have googly eyes, that is a prank. Exactly. That's great. Strapping C4 to it and saying that it's a bomb is not a prank. Anyway, multiple posters express surprise. Um, ultimately, some students express sympathy for their campus food distribution bots who were only trying to do their jobs and are now fending off accusations that they're out to destroy hungry students. One first-year student who wished to remain anonymous because they didn't want to be identified for their posts online, but whose identity is known to Insider, said that they were about to head to class when they received a campus email about the potential threat. Um, the student said there wasn't much panic on campus, and some students continued to order food from the inoperable uh, machines. However, the student said all of, the, all of their colleagues felt bad for the robots. Oh, Wally. I love that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if this isn't a clue that we're ready for robots to be integrated into society, I don't know what is. But these are cute robots as opposed to the Uncanny Valley bots that some people are aspiring exactly. to have. We don't need Uncanny but Valley. I don't know if that's the same style. That's actually at a different uh, location than in the, in the article, but it may be similar. Yeah, it's Starship bots. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think this is exactly what it looks like. Pretty cool. Anyway, I wish that... See, I was out of college by the time these were roaming around. You know, I was way out of college. Um, I think so. these are great. I think that they should and be they cute. In, in every institution, every organization. Um, you order something from, I don't know, uh, the restaurant that I've now fallen in love with, and they should be able to drive right on over to the office and, and right up to the mayoral mansion. Here you go. Now, how it's going to no, get into the wires. Thing, that's not available. <laughs> <laughs> my scale says it's a good thing. that Daily deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a scale scream, but when I weighed myself this afternoon, 
Okay, so in a cool bit of tech um, that I would love to have, if only it was actually an Apple Watch and not this manufacturer today. Oh, the Bendy phone is back, baby, is the title of this article. It's a Verge article. Um, stylish yet impractical, according to the uh, image caption that we're about to see today at Lenovo Tech World 2023. Many things happened. There was a lot of talk about AI. NVIDIA's Jensen Huang uh, and his leather jacket were there. Um, there were some celebrities I was promised um, they were supposed supposed to recognize they probably were supposed to recognize that's the author saying it i'm not saying it very well but that's what they were saying <laughs> as lenovo dusted off its bendable phone concept and let it out into the light for nearly two full minutes oh my god almost two hours into the keynote lexi valisek from the Motorola Innovation Research Team took the stage with the latest iteration of Moto's Bendy concept phone. Let's take a look at this. Um, I'm kind of into it, but 50% of the screen is on the underside of my wrist, so I'm not into that. I think it's dumb. Um, but if it were all the way around with the bulk of it on top, then cool. What's cool about this is you're supposed to be able to scroll it so it'll loop around and you can like scroll through websites and stuff like that. That would be great. Lenovo's flexible phone concept is cuter and bendier than the one that they saw in 2016 and is just as likely to ship. <laughs> I love that snark. It just slides right on in there. Nathan Edwards is the author of this article over at theverge.com. Link's already in the chat, so you can follow that whenever you get a chance. Um, I'm going to play this video. It's already muted. But basically, it's a Motorola ad. Um, they have some metal wrist brace on their wrist already. And um, I suspected when I saw this that this was like a clip a, like or a, a magnet or it was metal that a magnet in the phone would grab onto. And if you read this, it actually, they, the author of this article says it too, but it looks like an iPhone that you can bend. I mean, it seems like it's a cool idea, but why would you want to bend something that's a flat slab so that it sits up and only two thirds of the screen is usable at that point? And then when it's around your wrist, well, I mean, and it folds like this, it's kind of cutesy, but for crying out it loud. It's kind of cute, but doesn't seem to have as much functionality. Plus, I don't know. I guess I don't think that bending something like that is going to be without impact. But... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't. And that's the thing that I've been having a problem with folding phones, folding tablets is the, the screen itself being flexible. At some point it's going to snap. Um, but the author of the article makes some other observations that last year, not last year's, but the last iteration of it, when they wrapped it around something, it, they could hear it crinkle, you know, like. That's not good. 
Yeah, so is the bendy phone going to happen? Probably not like this. A minute feels like a sweet spot right before, oh, that's cool, wears off. And people start asking questions like, what happens if I rest my wrist on a table? Or what happens if I move my arm too fast? Or how would I take a call? You'd have to go like this. <laughs> and who doesn't do that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it almost seems like it wants to be a combination phone and watch. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it's trying to be. But the form factor, it's just not designed for that. You know, you have a phone, you have a watch. It's easier to just have the watch. The phone is used for something specific. I don't want to be taking calls on my watch regularly, but in an emergency or in some moment where it's the easier thing to get to, then fine. But I don't want to have to sit there and have this big old chonky thing sitting on my wrist all the time. And not everybody has a, a, a wrist that is compatible with this beast of a cuff i mean this thing well i just thought about the other thing is the weight on your wrist could actually be a problem for some oh, people yeah. yeah and unless it cuffs all the way around you and is very very secure you go to wave to somebody and that thing's going to go flying off or then you're going to get sued because you're going to clunk somebody in the head yeah exactly <laughs> now i think at some point we're going to have phones that are just like a, a it's a like a thick cylinder, you know, like, you know, like that round. And then you can slide your screen out, um, touch screen and everything, and then slide it back in. It rolls up inside the cylinder. Um, I, and when you want to take a call, it's just that pen and you just hold it, you know, stick it in your pocket. And it's not intrusive and it's not this big bulky thing all the time. We're getting there. Uh, the, oh, look, I just got an award. Um, Anyway, um, the, what I like about it is that the screen is bendy. If you can tighten that up so that it's touch screen and it curls enough that it can be put in that cylinder, I think that's where it's at. But I don't even want this little baby step of a bendable, flexible screen. I want it to go straight from this to massive innovation Revolutionary change is what we need as customers, not this drip, drip, drip of technology. But of course, that's not what we get. That's not what we get. It's not a good business model to be revolutionary. <clears throat> Although it made Apple. Let me tell yeah, you. It cuts down on the sales. <laughs> yep, that's true too. All right. Well, that's it, folks. Look at that. Almost made it under an hour. Getting closer. Yep. So everybody back into the party bus. Let's go back down Main Street to the welcome sign. We'll flash that logo real quick and we'll see. Did we get any new? No, not really. I mean, there's some stuff is new, but um, it was from a little while ago. I don't know. What day is today? Oh, it's Wednesday. Yeah. Okay, but here's something interesting. Honor says its new phone lets you open apps with your eyes. Uh, Honor says its new phone? What is that? Honor? I've never even I heard have of Honor. I no idea. <laughs> hey, Steam VR 2 was released officially. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll have to talk about that tomorrow. 
eye leakage attack resurrect specter with password and website data extraction man that's probably a little bit too far afield for the stream um wow uaw well, reaches tentative deal with ford yep saw that interesting diablo 4 rogue uses a pair of pants to one shot its hardest bosses nice guess i'll be playing diablo 4 for a little bit that got really grindy and boring uh, and you have a hundred uh, a level 100 max but you hit 50 and you're done with the story it's dumb anyway that's it folks we're done for today we'll see you tomorrow 8 p.m i'm marawat that's hometown.com and up there pew, 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 pew. it's the ai keeps me in check See, I didn't forget to say bye to everybody. You want to say bye to everybody? That's good. Uh, good night, hometown citizens. Bye-bye. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Don't forget, on the weekends, Eastern. it's going to be 6 p.m. Eastern. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye, everybody. Pew-pew.